Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee Olibest. In our last episode, we began a series on indigenous American plant medicine. We learned about the cactus peyote, which grows in Mexico and Texas and has been used by Native American peoples in religious ceremonies for over 5,000 years. Our guests talked about the scientific properties of peyote and the historical suppression of these religious ceremonies by Spanish colonists and the formation of the Native American church, which is now legally protected in its practice of these traditional ceremonies. Our guests on the episode, Alicia Galbraith and Brianna Larson, shared their intentions in joining a peyote ceremony. And I'm so happy to welcome them back today to tell us all about it. Welcome back, Alicia and Bri. Thanks, Amy. So glad to be here again. So happy to be here. Thank you. So you both did such a beautiful job introducing us to the history of peyote, and you both talked about your intentions and your fears of, as you said, surrendering to this power or energy that Native Americans think of as masculine. And I was so moved, Alicia, by your desire to connect to your own Navajo and Paiute ancestors. And so I would love you to tell us about the actual experience now of sitting with Grandfather Peyote in ceremony. So if you can tell us, you know, kind of the details, where did you go, who was there, and what was the actual experience like? Great. I will get us started. One of the things that is part of the pathway to a ceremony in Utah, like Alicia talked about, is a membership with the ONAC Church, which both of us went through all the proper channels to become a member of the church and they give you a card of membership, which just kind of creates a little bit of safety for everybody participating in the ceremony. And then they also ask that you come and do a breathwork ceremony with them prior to sitting with any plant medicine. So they can kind of see how you do in an environment like that. And so we both also went and did a breathwork ceremony with the ONAC church prior to the day of sitting with peyote. On that day, we arrived at the home of the medicine worker. We were welcomed into her home. It's customary to bring an offering of firewood, sweet grass, other things to offer to the fire. And so we came with those offerings and were welcomed into her loving open home. Her husband or partner was there and welcomed us in and kind of just eased us up a little bit. She was in the teepee with the fire keeper preparing a couple of other things. And so he welcomed us in, kind of had a little conversation with us, which did not feel even intentional. It just was the flow of the conversation where he sat and said, you got to just let come up what's going to come up. And you can't really course correct this experience. So even if it's not the direction you wanted this to go, you're just going to need to go in that direction or you will alter the course of the arc of the journey. And that ended up being really profound and helpful information for us both as we we moved into the beginning part of the ceremony and kind of had things come up that both of us were like, I don't really want to work with this right now or deal with this right now. So after chatting with him for a little bit, they had prepared the fire within the teepee. That was another thing that I was like a little bit nervous about as we did this ceremony in the summer and in Utah and it was a hundred degrees. And there also is a fire in the teepee that they keep going for the duration of the ceremony, and it is a big part of the ceremony, is the work with the fire, the grandfather energy that is in the fire. So I was also really nervous about that. Alicia, can you remember the phrase he said to us? (laughs) He said, you're safe. Let's leave it at that. That's what he said. You are always safe. Let's leave it at that. I love it. Yes. So he had said to us, you're safe, which was, was just a little trickster energy. And we took that into the teepee with us. So then we 
approached the teepee and got ready to enter the ceremony. Part of that process was taking our shoes off and then having the medicine woman smudge us with sage, which is a process that you do to kind of set your intentions and to welcome in all of the energies that are going to come in and help you. And also to ask any energies that you don't want there to leave. And it's just to give everybody a minute to center yourself, bring your intentions in, let go of chatter And whether that's just internal or metaphysical, it just helps balance the ceremony. So then after being smudged, they gave us a couple of reminders of some of the protocol in a peyote ceremony, things like always walking clockwise around the fire, that your feet should never be directly towards the fire. You should always have them off to the side, just small little things like that. And then we entered the teepee and were invited to sit in one of the the gates of the medicine wheel. A peyote ceremony utilizes the medicine wheel as a framework. The medicine wheel is a physical and a conceptual tool that has its origins in the Americas, and it encompasses a way of understanding ourselves in an aim of finding balance within ourselves and also within nature around us. It addresses you in your wholeness and also in your parts and then merging them into one. In this ceremony, like I said, we were invited to sit in a gate, which is both physical, you will sit in the gate that meets a coordinate and then also meets a part of yourself or a part of an arc of your story. And then you move around the teepee and sit in these different gates of the medicine wheel. Um, and for just simplicity term, the East gate represents birth and inspiration. The South gate represents childhood and emotion. The West gate represents adulthood and incarnation and the North gate represents your future self and your wisdom and knowing. And so you are also doing a physical move around in the teepee and then also asking yourself in those different places of your life, what is coming up for you in the ceremony. And one of the things that I love about the medicine wheel is that different from, you know, astrology, the way that we talk about it often, where like you are born a Sagittarius or you're born an Aries, and then you stay that the rest of your life. In the medicine wheel, you enter at some part when you're born in a certain gate under a certain moon. But then throughout the rest of your life, you are expected and it would be problematic if you did not move around the medicine wheel, that you are always evolving and shifting and changing. And that that is also built into the ceremony, that life is flow, life is adaptation, and that you will even at any point in your life be in possibly multiple parts of the wheel at once, you know, professionally, romantically, personally, emotionally, et cetera. And so you may interact with the wheel differently depending on your own unique grouping of strengths and experiences but you are not expected to be born and stay the same forever. And that's a big part of the wheel. And it's built into the ceremony that your intentions shift with each gate and that you are not expected to stay in the same gate the whole time. That would be counterintuitive to the process of evolution and transformation. Okay. So when we entered the teepee, we were invited to sit in a gate of our choosing and we both decided to sit in the the gates in which we were born, which is the East for Alicia and the West for me. And that also ended up putting us across from each other in the will, which gives a little bit of balance to the ceremony. And so then after that, we spoke with the guide about what our intentions were, 
what we were wanting to have happen. And then she helped us create a, a very distilled intention to ask the peyote. And then she served the peyote to us and we spoke directly to the peyote and then ingested the peyote. And at this point, the ceremony kind of takes a different turn than other plant medicine ceremonies, which are intended to be a little bit more internal. And in those ceremonies, you are not advised to be engaging verbally with your guide. You are advised to wear an eye shade and to be having kind of an internal storyline or learning or knowings kind of present to yourself. I was not totally aware of that before we entered this experience. And so after taking that, I was ready to just hide myself and deal with whatever I was going to deal with. And then after taking the medicine, she gave us some time to watch the fire. They played drums. There was singing. There was music. And then she stopped all of that and then just point blank asked us, what is coming up for you? And that was wildly uncomfortable. (laughs) So you, you know, it's funny, we were both prepared for physical vomiting or getting well. And instead, what we got was something much more uncomfortable for both of us, which was emotional vomit, (laughs) which is also the precursor to getting well. And luckily, we both, you know, like felt some resistance, but we had enough experience with the things we had done to prepare and our, you know, her partner had prepared us to just allow whatever came up to come up. And so we both just tried to acknowledge those, those things that were coming up. And it's interesting because you take two women who struggle to take up space or who have been taught their whole life to take up only a certain amount of space and who are trying to always be on top of everything, hyper-functioning, hyper-performing, and being seen and witnessed in such a deep and profound way for those two women is going to be the most terrifying experience possible, way more than being physically seen vomiting. But it's also going to be the medicine and path for that healing to take place. And so we were both ready for a certain type of discomfort, but we got a totally different type of discomfort. So much worse. <laughs> Even though it you're was, really good friends, I mean, I know you oh, know each other so well. I was just going to say the part that Alicia is leaving out is take a woman like that and have her have to be exposed like that to a stranger. Fine. Take a woman ah. like that and have her be exposed to her most intimate friendship and to be seen that unveiled. And behind all of the like, this is how I present myself to you because it makes me feel like you'll accept me and love me more. It will make you want to Uber yourself right out of that TV and just absolutely, I am not doing this. And so I think for both of us, the first gate was like, not only is this awful and not what I want to do, I don't really Mm. want to do this in front of you because one, I don't want you to have to carry this weight because Mm. you know my stories, you know my childhood, you know these things, and I don't want to put that weight onto you right now and have you carry this with me. But that was absolutely the ask of lay this bear, carry it together with the women in this teepee, and then we're going to move on. And I think that if either one of us... and that's what goes into like where we were talking about the peyote is plays a little bit of hide and seek. It does not bulldoze you. And at that point, if you wanted to armor up and role play and be like, I am not going to talk about these really vulnerable things, but I can put on a good enough story. You could create a very different experience that you were micromanaging. But I think both Alicia and I kind of decided in that first gate or two that, okay, I, I am just doing this because it's what's being asked. And I, I honestly kind of can't stop it at this point. Like what's coming up is coming up and it's coming out my mouth. And so we're just going to 
to go in this direction. So yes, we are very close friends. And in some ways, knowing all that deep history made that vulnerability even more exposing. Mm-hmm. Because I would also say, I would totally agree with everything Bree just said. And I would also say it's not the emotions like, I feel sad, I feel happy, or like, oh, this experience. It was like the deep parts of yourself that is like a second skin that you don't even know is there. You're not even sure you are ready to look at it. (laughs) And that is bubbling up in real time in front of this friend who knows you so well. And so it was like peeling back a mask and seeing the, the most broken parts, the most tender parts that you don't even know you're protecting from the world. And so I think, cause we have said that to a couple of people and they're like, oh, I would totally be like emotional in front of my friend. And I'm like, well, it's a little, a little bit different than your typical emotions, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was, that was our discomfort. So we didn't get the physical somatic discomfort that we were prepared for. We got like deep psyche discomfort that, that is what had to happen first for our healing. If you are willing to share anything about like what it actually felt like, was it visions? Was it just emotions? Were you reliving things from your past? Would you be willing to share anything about what it actually felt like? Okay. So in the first gate, the medicine woman asked us what our own intentions were, kind of what we had brought in that we were able to curate outside of plant medicine. And then she worked with that a little bit now that we were had peyote working in our system and then asked what we were wanting to do in that gate. And for me, one of the things that I wanted to do was heal my anxiety. And then the experience for me, peyote was not extremely visual, but it was very having like a knowing come to me, I would explain it to that, like my mind and my spirit was connected directly to my linguistics and that I wasn't able to run any of the things that I was saying through my own processing systems or my own storylines. And that is the part that felt the most vulnerable is that like my soul or spirit or mind was understanding things in a very clear way. And then it was coming straight out my mouth in a way that I could not stop. And that was the part that felt very vulnerable is not that I I knew what things were coming out of my mouth. So it didn't feel like, oh, I'm going to say something about myself that's going to incriminate me or anything like that. Like all the things, there was no finding something out about myself that I didn't know about myself. It was looking at them with such honesty and vulnerability. And for me, working with the anxiety was the realization that my anxiety started as a child who was born into a family that was in a very tumultuous situation and that I always felt invisible and unwanted. And that even my birth, the surrounding of my birth was, like I said in the introduction, I am the fourth child of five, and I was the third daughter in a row. And so my parents at the time were starting to separate, very, very tumultuous. And so I realized like, oh, I was probably not a wanted pregnancy. And if anything, not a wanted third daughter by my LDS father. Um, and so. I kind of saw that for exactly what it is. And I had to walk through that in order for me to access that part of myself. And at this part in my ceremony, the medicine woman actually offered me a soul retrieval of that part of who I was, who at that time I had exiled. 
And Mm. she said that she could see that happening because I was able to unveil that understanding that, oh, my anxiety stems from this place that like I was always invisible and loved, deeply loved, but not, not wanted or a celebrated pregnancy in a more traditional way. And then she offered and asked, would you, would you like to do a soul retrieval to that part of your childhood and bring, bring her back in with you? And so we went, went through the process of that, but the vulnerability of even me being able to see that so clearly and take myself out of it kind of, and see my, my mother and my father and my family dynamics. We, we were very poor. And just the idea that like, yeah, I was probably not exactly what my family wanted to have be happening at that time. And that makes so much sense in the development of my DNA and some of this anxiety that I have. And some of these things that I always had joked about that like, oh, I have a, like a cold, dead heart, a black heart. And just this idea <sighs> that there was no like anxiousness and excitement around my arrival to this, this earth. And I say that in the mm-hmm. most loving way to my mother, who was also going through so much stuff. So I don't say that in how, how could she have done that to me? It feels like I was also part of the story of that was being done to her, that she was taking on another child. So the vulnerability was really myself being able to see that so clearly for the first time and then speaking it out loud for the first time in such a vulnerable way. And the guide had told us that peyote is not necessarily a consciousness alterer. It's just a consciousness clarifier and that will just help you see things really clearly. And it definitely had that effect on me. And so then as I was walking through this path of seeing that, I was narrating it as it was happening. And so I could not get a couple steps ahead of that to manage myself in an appropriate way. And so that brought with it a lot of emotions. And I would get around a corner and be like, oh, I'm seeing my pregnancy and seeing this. And so that is where the vulnerability came is I also did not know what was coming next. And in real time was sharing that out loud, both with the guide and with somebody that I love dearly and I'm very close to. And I know that that became a like a weighty conversation for Alicia to have too, because she does know me. And so there was a little bit of interplay of just that, like, thank you for being here. And I'm sorry, this can be heavy. <laughs> so that was part of the uncomfortableness of that. And I would add that it was actually extremely beautiful to witness. And I'm so grateful that Brie was courageous enough to walk through that because there there's a saying that people will say in plant medicine, like everyone wants to do ayahuasca, but nobody wants to do the dishes. Um, And so like in this instance, you know, like everybody wants to do peyote, but nobody wants to do the dishes. And we both got to that first gate and realized we had some dishes to do. (laughs) We had some dishes to clean. And if either of us had bypassed that, I think that we would not have gotten the experience that unfolded for both of us by the third gate. And so, and when I had asked the medicine woman for some clarification about some things with peyote, she said, similar to what Bree said, that peyote is not so much of a psychedelic experience, although it is that. It's more like putting on truth glasses that will let you see everything as it is. And you don't realize when you live in a world of your own making, like the world that we see is our perception. It's a projection of us, right? We see the world as a projection of ourselves that when you put on truth glasses and you see things as they are, it can take an adjustment period. It can be very scary and unnerving and alarming. And being able to face that with that kind of courage is, I think, very important 
for myself in the first couple of gates, it was not so much visual, although there was a little bit of visualness. They have you looking into the fire for most of it. You can close your eyes a little bit and go internal, but the fire is a transformer. And so there's this connection of the fire transforming outwardly as well as transforming the fire of the medicine transforming inside of you. And so it was more of an inner knowing that was arising with extreme profoundness and strength. And one thing that it did for me was very quickly rewired the way that I define power and view power. I think I think of power as something that overpowers or comes over and is pushing things and maneuvering things. But this power felt very consensual. It felt like there was a lot of consent. So I was having emotions come up that were related to decisions I had made many years ago as an, an immature, you know, girl trying to make my way in the world and thinking I knew what the best decisions were and realizing that some of those decisions had gotten me quite stuck or maybe emotionally high centered. And I didn't know how to get out of those even now. And so I, as I was working through those things, the medicine was letting me know that I didn't have to do anything if I didn't want to. I could just sit there and when the medicine woman asked me what's coming up, I could say, oh, nothing, (laughs) you know, or, oh, I don't really want to talk about it. But instead, with my consent, the medicine was giving me an opportunity to release those things. And as I release them toward the fire, have them transformed in the way that I was hoping. And so I had some, also some energetic things come up, which the the person who talked to us while we were outside the teepee, one of the things he said was, you know, you don't always have to know what's coming up. Let go of trying to analyze everything because that's counterintuitive to the medicine. You have to just trust the medicine. And so I had a couple of sort of like deep, dark, energetic things that released from me that I felt, you know, if you're familiar with chakras, it's, you know, more in like my solar plexus area in my abdomen. So it was a very energetic release as well as a verbal release of who knows what, but whatever it was, it was doing the dishes and it was releasing me and clearing the way to move forward to have the experience I needed to have later. And at this point, my resistance was coming up often as frustration because I had come from my ancestors and instead I was having all this emotional, personal stuff come up. And so I was so grateful for those words that he said to just let whatever came up and trust the medicine. And so I think the medicine, as we progressed, showed me how those things were related to intergenerational cycles and trauma that I was carrying that came from those ancestors and that I needed to release those in order to be able to move forward. Okay. And so then what happened as you progressed? I mean, you did the dishes first and then it sounds like it was a preparation for what would happen in those later gates. So what happened next? Then we moved to the next gate and this gate for me would be the North. So kind of wisdom and future and an internal knowing. And at that point, the guide, the medicine woman uses what came up for you in the previous gate and kind of helps you curate a new intention because that gate is going to be different and do different work with you. And so she, doses you another amount of peyote, you talk with her about what what you would like to have happen, and then 
you take the medicine and then the same cycle, they let you sit with that for amount, a certain amount of time. Music is played, drums are played, they sing, you watch the fire and just kind of like your, let your internal world start churning and noodling on what is coming up for you. And in this gate for me, I realized that I had some pretty strong blockages in the ideas of who I thought I was and that very early on, I had created these ideas of I'm just this kind of person, both in my childhood and in my young adult life, in my marriage, as a mother, as a professional woman, particularly as a friend, being that I'm just this kind of person. And then in that in that gate, it became really clear to me and to the medicine woman that I was running everything through a program and that she's saying, okay, but you're still speaking through your programming. You're still speaking through your programming. And I could see it where I was like, I, I can totally see this, that I have transcended so many of these things and changed the course directory of my life, but I still function as if this is all the truth of who I am. And then at that point, she offered a deprogramming ceremony to me to kind of bring down the structures of how I was seeing myself and seeing my life arc and all of the work that I had done previously to, to course correct myself and my family and my lineage. And so in that gate, it was, it was kind of a playful toggle with the peyote, but also a, a like kind of a stern parental energy that, that said to me, are you just going to do this forever? You're just going to do this story forever. And this is no longer your story, but you still are victim to it because you process everything through this and you withhold joy and have foreboding joy because you've always thought you were this kind of person. And the messaging very much was like sitting with me patiently saying, are you just going to do this forever? And then at that point I realized like, I don't want to do this forever, but I don't know how to get out of these tracks that I have laid down that, that are just subconscious at this point. And then she offered the deprogramming ceremony we went through that. She spoke the words of that, which were profound and beautiful. And then I could cognitively feel certain things of my mind releasing in, in a way that makes no sense. I, I can't make any sense of it. And then I just sat there and felt like joy bubble up in this idea that I can just change my story. And it's just that simple. And it also is absolutely not that simple. So in the same way that peyote is a little bit trickster and it's hard to find until it isn't, that I can change my story. I can change my trajectory. I can go back and re-narrate my birth and my childhood and my place in the church and my place in the world. And then I can just move to joy, but I can't just move to joy until I already did all of that work. So it was in a, in a way an initiation into the valley of joy after a lot of the work that I have been doing to change the course directory of my life and my family's life and a permission that you can just choose that when it's time to choose that. And you can't bypass to it, but you can choose that. So then I sat with that concept that a lot of these programs were coming down and very joyfully seeing this, this new way to, to view my life, my future and my past. So that is kind of what came up for me in, in the next gate. So when you say that you had you were kind of like living your life with all of these layers of programming, not having experienced what you're talking about, the analog that I think of is like how little, little children experience the world, like who you really are authentically when you're little mm -hmm. and you don't have all of the layers of don't behave this way, don't think this way. The, I guess the accumulation of the persona that we take on is that kind of what it felt like? Is like 
peyote was asking you to like take off the persona the layers of the programming and just get back to the joy of being the real you that you were when you were little does that sound at all like what it was that's the thing that i maybe could relate to from what you were saying so yes and the way that that laid out is i had previously in a meditation cycle had a task that was to try and see what my role was in a larger set of people that I am close to. And I was able to like see each one of these people who I love dearly and see that like, oh, they are this part of myself and I'm this part of them. And then when I got to myself, I was missing. And I was like, this is so bizarre. Why would, and this was months ago. And I was like, why would I be missing when I can so clearly see all these beautiful attributes and meaningful attributes and stabilizing attributes that are part of me that are also in these friends that I'm with. And so part of it for me was part of the anxiety healing, which was any time that you live in the future, you are missing the now because you're not here to be present. And that is anxiety is that constantly trying to be 10 steps ahead, constantly trying to think through what will happen. And then you you aren't here. Or if you're living in the past, that's depression. And so the understanding of that was you are now safe. Your family is safe. You've worked really hard to like stabilize everything so that, that you could be in a safe environment financially and physically and all of these things. And now you've done that. And that was kind of the messaging of, are you just going to do that forever? Like, when is it going to be enough? Because it's enough now Mm. that you could come back to self and be here for it. But instead, you're constantly trying to outsmart it or renegotiate what you should have done better. And so the process for me was realizing the reason I couldn't see myself in that was trying to relearn how to just be here and that I don't have to be anything other than present. And that is not the way that I had been living my life, both because that's not how anxiety works. It's a protection mechanism. And Also, like in the building years of your life, you're constantly needing to have a more future arc, particularly in the younger years of parenting, where you're trying to foresee the needs of all these young people that you almost never can be fully present because that is a marker of, you know, a successful mother is I pre-thought everybody's needs except my own. So I had lost myself in that process. And then as that deprogramming came down, it was an invitation to just be here, just, just be here now. And that can be the new programming that you function with as a woman and as a mom and as a leader and all of these other things. And that felt incredibly freeing. And Bree, this might be like an incorrect assumption, but do you feel like the program was almost such a subtle filter that even when you came out of that West Gate and you were going into the North Gate, it was like there were still tiny bits of that filter left that you were still trying to run it through, like whether that's still trying to win the game as like the best mom or still trying to outsmart the game or view your life even as lesser than because you didn't stay in the church or, or whatever, even though you had all this joy that it's a lesser joy or that it was like such a subtle filter that 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 was the program you were still running through. Yes, definitely. And I think that goes to what you were saying about like a second skin, that that was kind of this virus that my body was using that I didn't even know was in there. And that's when she kept saying to me, you're still running that through program. And I was like, and I was a little foggy at that point, like the, the peyote was coming on and I was like, I see what you're saying. And then I would say something and then she would stop me and say, you're still running that through a program. But I had just 
been subconsciously using that as my mechanism of connection to other people and myself for so long that it took a minute for me to be like, I understand what you're saying, but I, I can't get past this. Like this is who I am. And then she was like, no, that is the program. Who you are is behind that. And then I finally got there, but it definitely took a little bit of pushing from her in a very gentle invitation kind of way. And also feeling like the peyote was sitting there saying like, you just going to do this forever. You're just going to spin in this cycle forever. Like you, you did the work to get to here and then you are just going to do it forever. And that was like really profound to be like, no, I'm actually not. I'm going to like shoot out of this orbit and be like, I did the work I needed to do there. And now I'm, I'm coming into a, a brand new solar system. So that it definitely took me a minute to get out of that skin because it was so deeply embedded. After that, I moved into the third gate of the medicine wheel, which was the East gate for me, which is rebirth and like taking on new life. At this point in the arc of a peyote ceremony, this is where the medicine kind of comes into you more deeply and more profoundly. Also, based on what the invitations in the first two gates that you accepted, at this point, you could also still choose not to go to the places that peyote would want to take you in this gate. And that might not even be available to you if up until that point you had resisted a lot. So in that in the third gate, she asked us if we wanted to work with a little bit more peyote. She gave us a little bit more peyote in the form of a paste and then worked with us about any intention that we had for that gate. And part of the intention that Alicia talked about going into this was kind of understanding what in this realm is seen as your own medicine, which would also track similarity to what is your like talents or your gifts, you know, what is your personal gift to the world more or less. And, and that is referred to as your own personal medicine. And we had both come in kind of wanting to understand that a little bit more. It's a very elusive concept that that's a little bit confusing to us because we didn't come into this lineage our whole life, you know, so it's new vernacular. And then in this, in this gate, I was sitting there kind of working with this realization of my anxiety being part of not being seen fully in my childhood. And then the experience where I, I couldn't see myself, the role that I played with my friends, then having that kind of unveil that that was presence, that the idea of being present does make you a little bit invisible because you're, you're neither here nor there. You're just right in this minute. And then as I was sitting in this gate, this whole arc started to map together that the, the part of my childhood that I had seen as the most painful, the most shameful, the most embarrassing that I was, you know, kind of unseen and invisible. And that I tried to make myself invisible to just be palatable to people around me. And the arc of all of that pain that I had experienced in the first gate of really seeing that transmuted into that moment into the power and the offering that I offer to people around me, which is to be extremely present, to, to try not to worry about what is coming and what the past has been, but to forgive yourself. And that arced all the way back to me ordaining myself. And then when I came into a position of power, rather than taking people's power for myself, giving it back to them and constantly telling people, you keep this for yourself. You keep this for yourself. We can exchange power, but there's no power differentials here. I will never take any of your power. And then realizing 
that the security and safety that I offer to those that I work with, both professionally and officiating weddings and those uh, in my friendship that I'm very close to is rooted in what I saw as the wound of my childhood. So the wound of my childhood that also had been the root of my anxiety in that moment kind of, you know, did a beauty in the beast moment and just transcended into Mm -hmm. this, like the beauty that you offer comes from the depth of your pain and experience of being unseen. And so from here forward, you offer people being seen in whatever whatever situation they're in, that that they don't have to do anything to be seen and that that is part of your medicine or your talent or moving forward. If you're going to change these stories, that this is now who you are, is somebody who helps people be deeply seen. Where before I had spent so much of my life being an introvert and trying not to be seen. And so that that whole sweeping crescendo of understanding that like all of that was rooted in my pain in my childhood in my anxiety, in my introversion, and then having that absolutely transmute into this alchemist moment of moving forward. All you have to give is love and presence to everyone around you. And that is your path to sanctification and redemption personally. And so in that gate, it was a pretty profound experience in that height of, of the medicine to, to learn that about me. And then also in that, in that gate started to come in some masculine work where we were invited at that time to lay down on mats in the teepee and to close our eyes at that point. And up until this point, they had really encouraged us to stay working with the fire, to be looking with the fire, to be talking, to be very, very present. And at this point they say, okay, we well, can lay down. And then we started doing some breath work. And that point of the ceremony, I felt like I had a moment with masculine energy that was a reminder that I am very familiar with stable and safe masculinity. And that emotion and feeling flooded over my body and then made a a knowing in my mind or whatever, that this is what safe masculinity feels like. It's in you, it's in your husband, it's in a lot of places, but that it's here, but I've always been taught to not be able to see that as masculinity, that I was trained that masculinity, you know, takes power from people and power over and power differentials. And so a pretty profound shift in the idea of what stable and safe masculinity looks like. And then reconnecting that I absolutely know what that energy feels like. I feel it around me often. I see it in strangers. I am able to like tap into that with people that I don't know very well was very empowering to realize that that masculine energy is something that is very dear to me, that I feel very safe under the care of that masculine energy. I want to be with it. We're leading into this. I very much felt like I largely reject masculine energy. And if I didn't have sons, I would kind of be okay to just be like, I'm, I'm okay to not like masculine energy. And then that connected to the idea that all of us carry masculine energy. It, it isn't as binary as men and women, but the, the energy of masculinity is needed in the whole arc of our healing and our humanity and our connection to each other and ourselves. And so that's when that intention really kind of firmed up and came in for me. Oh, my heart. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay, thank you. And Alicia, what were the later gates like for you? As I shifted to the South Gate, I was feeling a little bit of disappointment in myself that I had come here for my ancestors. I had this whole shrine to them almost that I was moving with me from gate to gate, you know, and I had done all this research and come for them. 
And then instead, all that was coming up was my own inner work that I needed to do. And so I had a few moments of disappointment and even a little bit of anger start to bubble up that like, okay, I guess this is all this is going to be. And I'm just going to go through it and go through the motions. And I'm sorry, I failed everybody, you know? And then I had this moment of realizing that was still my getting well. That was still my my emotional clearing that I needed to do. And that was my resistance to the medicine, that it had been very kind of surreptitious, like it sort of crept in on me and was coming in a form that I wasn't recognizing, but that I was still resisting the medicine a little bit. And that is something that in my in my life, I I feel like I try and work really hard to surrender to things. I do a lot of cold plunging, a lot of fasting, but this was was humbling me in a way that nothing else quite had and that I needed to recognize it for what it was. And once I saw that, I realized I needed to surrender in a new way and learn to be flexible and adaptable in a new way, which is such a a beautiful merging of the teachings of the medicine wheel, which is that life is adaptation, life is flow and flexibility. So I just kept leaning into the awful emotions (laughs) that were coming up. And I was having, I think also some of my masculine work was coming up in that form because I was having things come up from my marriage that I don't even know I was aware of. Not my husband's fault, or to say that I'm upset with him, but because of the dynamic of our marriage under a patriarchal upbringing and culture and overarching force in my life, not even in our marriage. And at one point, the firekeeper who was working with me said, you know, the stuff that you're bringing up doesn't really have much to do with your marriage. It actually has to do with you. And this would be the same no matter where you went or what you did because of the the waters of patriarchy that we have been raised in. So let's heal you so that you can step into your life fully and completely in this empowered state. And I remember being so overwhelmed with how seen I felt by her. And so they offered me some peyote and a new intention to be able to find the part of myself that I had completely disengaged from that had no voice because I was silencing her due to just life experiences and the way that many of us have been raised, that we have to separate ourselves from our most authentic self. And as we shifted to the the third gate, which was the West Gate for me, I started to see very clearly that that work absolutely had to be done in order for me to move forward and be able to see my ancestors and the work that needed to be done there. Because I was trying to come to them to, you know, heal this intergenerational wounding without even being connected to my core self. And so that was, you know, at that point, I really had surrendered to the fact that that may be what the entire experience was going to be, that I had worked for a year looking forward toward this ceremony and that it might just be a bunch of emotions coming up for me. (laughs) But when I got to the third gate, the medicine woman asked me if I'd like to work 
on my ancestors at that point. And I, I told her, absolutely. And so we walked through the story of my ancestors in great detail. She took such wonderful mental and emotional care to make sure that the story was just right, that the words of the ancestral line clearing that she performed were perfectly accurate and that nothing was left out. And so I, you know, was able to say those words with the peyote. And at that point in time, I was starting to feel quite nauseous. The medicine had come on quite strong at that point. We had had, you know, that was my fourth serving, I think. And I told the medicine woman, you know, I think that I might get well into the fire if I take any more. And she smiled and just handed me another serving. And, you know, with this knowing that, yeah, that's, that's what happens. This is how we get well. And so I had this thought of, you know, I will swallow this bitter pill in order to heal because the former gates had really shown me that's the path you have to walk for healing. And if the road to heaven is paved with hell, was hell ever actually hell or were they both the same? You know, so I'm starting to see these things in holes instead of dualities, mm -hmm. that things were merging together and flowing together. And so, as Brie mentioned, they invited us to lie down and do it's it's similar to what's called a holotropic breath work or Wim Hof breathing, where you're switching the balance of carbon dioxide and oxygen in your body. And pretty quickly, as I laid down, I had very strong visuals come in. And at this point, I was expecting to feel rather ill, but instead of ill, I felt so expansive and so cleansed. It, it felt like we had gone through these gates with so much work and willingness to do the work and so much consent from the medicine. And then the medicine was saying, okay, now you get to see the power that is behind this. And that power doesn't have to be overpowering, that you consented to this and it can feel like a really strong, gentle, warm rain that has cleansed everything and that doesn't feel like you wish it were gone or that you can't be your full, authentic, embodied self in its presence. And so I had um, a different ancestor, the ancestor I had gone with in mind. It was her mother, who we have had a harder time finding information about her, became my guide for that gate. And that's very common in plant medicine to have a guide come in. And it can be anything from an inner knowing to an animal, like a pet or to a human that you may or may not know. And she became my guide for the rest of that experience. And it was extremely powerful. She taught me about the interdimensionality of love, that it reaches beyond all time. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. It, it reaches beyond all time and that we are held in so much nurturing and love and in an unbroken chain of love since the dawn of humanity. It's very hard to see it at times because of our experiences in humanity and the pain and the difficulties that we experience, but that, that it is a force and a power. And she taught me about adaptability and 
being able to flow and hold seeming opposites together, that there can be pain and joy, and that the way to integrate those is to find a dance between them. And so she taught me to take my pain and my joy and dance in the present moment because all we have is the present moment. The past and the future are both illusions. And so we have this one spark at this moment and that is where the dance is. That's where the life is. And that as long as I am resisting life, I am not fully embodying actual life and consciousness and existence. And the only way to do that is to be flexible and adaptive and flow and, and learn to dance with it, learn to dance through the pain and the sorrow and the happiness and the beauty and all of it. And it was an extremely powerful experience. I felt like my heart was like on the Grinch movie where it just like expands, <laughs> like it mm-hmm. explodes out the box. My heart felt so overjoyed with gratitude and awareness for the undercurrents of beauty and nurturing and love that are all around us all the time for our taking. It strikes me as you're talking that this guide who came to you that was talking about like holding all of it, right, was a woman who lost her daughter, right? It's interesting that it wasn't the ancestor that you were focusing on, but the mother of that daughter that had that horrible thing happen to her. And then that daughter, you know, then went into white society, I guess, and the the Paiute line of this ancestor. I mean, I guess she was kind of the last one, right, in that line. Absolutely. And I that's really insightful of you to mention that because that was actually part of what I saw where I was going back and forth with her saying, but you lost your daughter. And I realized at that time too, that she didn't actually know what ever happened to her daughter. And I watched her sort of energetically gather up her daughter in her arms. And she looked at me and told me a mother's love doesn't end. So we are all still connected. And she was teaching me about love, not as an emotion and not love as an idea but love as a force and love as something that that is part of a human birthright that does not end with death and i'm i'm not talking necessarily about knowing what some afterlife or something like that i'm talking about human connection in our dna you know like you can call it epigenetics you can call it dna but that the things that we call material are all manifestations of love and that we are bound and held in love in so many areas of our life, regardless of the circumstances. And one intention that I had come to the medicine with was to understand my own personal, unique, energetic you know, stamp or my energetic thumbprint you could, or fingerprint, you could say, sometimes we call that our medicine to understand what my medicine was. And I had this really poignant moment where she approached me and I, she asked if she could have my energetic heart to understand so that she could teach me some more things. And I 
gratefully handed her my energetic heart. And she showed me that this dance with life that my ancestors had been teaching me is more than your arms and your legs, but that it's with your heart. It's with your soul, that there is this element of dancing with life. And as she handed me back my heart in doing so, she told me in very clear terms that she was giving me a new name. And this new name was very meaningful and very powerful and had to do with this idea of dancing. And after this ceremony or after this experience, I mentioned to the medicine woman that that my ancestor had given me a new name. And I didn't really know that that was something that people seek after or that that happens sometimes in this medicine. But she let me know that that is something that will occasionally happen or that sometimes people will approach her and ask for a new name. And so she said, you know, this is as legitimate as anything else I've ever performed. So why don't we do a naming ceremony? And so we did a naming ceremony that was very beautiful and meaningful. And it it made the name all the more powerful in my life. And I will continue trying to work to earn the magnitude of this name that was given to me. And then I did have a moment at this point. It's it's so interesting that Brie and I had some similarities to our experience because we were on opposite sides of the teepee, totally silent. But I had this moment where I I had sort of a conversation with the medicine. It wasn't really in verbal language. It was more of a knowing. But I said, wait a minute. Why has my entire experience been a matriarch figure when aren't you supposed to be masculine energy? And I felt like the energy of the medicine sort of winked at me and said, you're so silly. The way that you view masculine energy is so imbalanced. You don't even know it when you see it. And he said, I'm not threatened. I'm just part of the family. So I'm not threatened by your great grandmother coming to you and teaching you lessons that you needed to learn. We're all part of the family and I'm part of you and, and you are part masculine and feminine and there's some and the the overlap in between and and there doesn't need to be this threatened state between us and so I'm happy that you could learn the lessons you needed to learn through her and that felt like a lesson that I continue to unpack as I start to realize areas that I used to define as masculine that are not actually balanced masculine energy. It's toxic masculine energy. So why am I still calling that masculine, you know, and seeing masculine energy in gentleness and patience and consent and unassumingness that it can be all of those things instead of thinking that it's domineering or overpowering and that that's the definition of masculinity and that anything adjacent to it is like an altered masculine or a fringe masculine. It's actually what I have been defining as masculine is what is imbalanced. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. I've learned so much from you both and so appreciate all of these beautiful and powerful experiences. Is there anything that you'd like to say just as kind of a takeaway or last thoughts on the topic? I will go ahead and start with that. Some of the takeaways for me were that our true power rests within ourselves and in a healed society and religion, everyone gets to keep their power and we exchange power 
consensually, both masculine and femininely. And that also we can change our stories. We can heal our past. We can reclaim all parts of self. And the other side of that is the most glorious grotto of joy and wonder and awe that that is, is the, the other side of coming into some of these very dark nights of the soul and these places that we are unfamiliar with and don't know where we're going. And then as far as how plant medicine helps us break down the patriarchy, I feel like plant medicine empowers people to be their own visionary and invites you to meet yourself and any version of God that you believe in. And that discovery of who you are at the most raw and divine level is your own sanctification, that it cleanses you from your old stories and consecrates you for a special purpose, which is yours and yours alone. And in the plant medicine, it will give you the keys towards that. And that journey may be very long and it may be shorter for some people, but as you follow that path and continue to shed these layers of yourself, that you will initiate your own rebirth and resurrection over and over again in, in this world here that we're in right now. And that you very much are your own matriarch or your own patriarch, and that you are the access and conduit to your own divine energy and divine connection to whatever source power you believe in. That is so beautiful. I love, I love when Bree speaks. I think some of my major takeaways are that life is adaptation and that life, the medicine wheel is not so much of a dogma of how to live your life, but more of a way to explain our lived experience. And that as we surrender to what flows in and then release it, that that is the crux of life rather than resisting what is and allowing emotional dams and second skins and all these things to come in, that when we live at that razor edge of flow with life, that that is where the love and the beauty and the joy exist in absolute tandem with the pain and the brokenness and the mundane, that that life and death are not opposites, but that they are a dance together, that really life is death dancing. And that as we learn to dance in metaphorically with our own experiences, we are able to find a greater flow in our lives. The other thing that I am taking with me is that our stories are not defined by how they ended. And our stories aren't even defined by what happened to us. Our stories come from within. It's who we are at our core that creates our own story. And so even when there is extreme trauma and sadness in our life, that it's a story worth telling and that there was still a thread of beauty and love through every story of all time. And that our ancestors are connected to us in a chain. And you can call that epigenetics, you can call that spirit, you can call that DNA or intergenerational cycles, but learning to trust your own body's wisdom and knowing that you contain multitudes, that you come from multitudes is crucial to being able to reclaim your own power and 
probably the very first step to healing is being in touch with your own inner authentic self that is your body and mind coming together. Body, mind, heart. Well, Brianna Larson and Alicia Galbraith, thank you so much for being with us. Again, I learned so much from you and and just respect and admire all of your work and so grateful that you joined us today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Amy. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Amy. It's been an honor. Before I go, I'd also like to thank Sam Rose Preminger for our production, Brianna Jovan for our editing, and Lindsay Olibest for our social media. And thanks to all of you for listening. As always, you can head over to our website at breakingdownpatriarchy.com and our Instagram account at bedownpatriarchy for additional content and resources for today's episode. And if you'd like to help support the podcast, please consider sharing it with others, posting about it on social media, and leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That's all for this week, but be sure to join us again next time as we continue to become more educated, informed, connected, and active on Breaking Down Patriarchy.